0: The His Girl Friday Podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. It's hard to believe we're already two weeks into the new year. However, it's also hard to believe the year is 2018. I don't know about you, but... I'm still writing 2017 on checks and just in that previous year frame of mind. Some of you may be on the other side where you're already thinking ahead to the end of the year and the resolutions that go along with it. Not to suggest that resolutions are a bad thing. I just know for me, when we talk about January of any year, I associate it with prayer, reflection, and being more in the word before getting caught up in, I'm gonna do this different, I'm gonna change that, I'm gonna keep that the same. So I guess you could say I'm very much a cleanse before change, getting real before getting right type of guy. Then again, I'm very much an introspective introvert. So taking internal inventory doesn't really phase me as it might phase some others. Yet, regardless of your personality, how you're wired. We're all flawed. All have areas in our life that we can improve. So when it comes to starting off any year, I believe it's wise to consider what needs to be chiseled out from us so we can think about what God wants to replace that new void with. So with that said, I want to talk about three points of conviction that God has been stirring in me since the start of December. The first point has to do with making culture the enemy. As some of you know, I am a state employee. I work for the Tennessee Department of Transportation as an accounting tech in the finance department. I've been a state employee ever since I finished my undergrad, and the experience has taught me a lot of important life lessons. How to live when you're treated like a number, how to manage challenging subordinates, how to respond when authority doesn't handle a situation as best as they could, or when you feel like your name and reputation is nothing more than a pinata that people are smashing around. But perhaps the lesson that has gripped me the most has to do with knowing your enemy in the face of conflict, in the face of adverse situations. As a kid, I grew up learning Ephesians 6. I learned the basics of honoring your parents, all the way to spiritual warfare application, including Ephesians six twelve. we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and spiritual forces of evil. However, while I understood this truth conceptually, I lacked awareness contextually, and there have been moments as a state employee where this reality exposed itself. For example, there have been moments where I have truly felt belittled, or neglected, and at times the victim of false judgment. And in years past, I would justify my resentment by redirecting my disappointment. In other words, I would take my discouragement and deflect it off from the colleague to the culture. Culture being like the emotional atmosphere, the collective mood of the floor, if you will. So I would think to myself, as long as what I hate or disagree with isn't alive and breathing, I'm good. If my offense isn't directly tethered to a person, I'm not at fault. The problem was my offense wasn't going anywhere. If anything, I had taken cynicism with respect to person and extrapolated it over many persons. So basically culture became the dartboard in my heart. If something bad happened, or I felt like I was attacked, I had no problem firing away those internal darts at the dartboard. Again, that dartboard being culture as enemy. However, the big awakening that the Lord has led me to receive open-heartedly is the fact that culture is never the enemy, since what composes culture is flesh and blood. Culture isn't synonymous with a spiritual force of evil. It can be deceived by evil, but it can never be equated with a rule or authority or principality of darkness. And the more I accepted this, the more I could hear that still small voice encouraging me to de-antagonize my heart. And thus the floodgates of conviction were opened because suddenly I could see how I was trying to make sense of my surroundings all the time. I wanted to feel secure about who was for me, who was against me, who was pouring into me, who wasn't pouring into me. I wanted to make sense of other people's behavior and I got so distracted by it I lost track of my own. Lost in the whole good guy in a bad culture narrative I'd put myself in. Some of you can relate to the struggle in appointing anger and bitterness in the heat of the moment. If so, I want to encourage you. If your idea of enemy is the deceived, not the deceiver, then not only are you misappropriating identity but you're removing yourself from an opportunity to love and judge righteously. In my line of work, there are a lot of broken people. Granted, we're all broken, but I'm talking about people who are hopeless, many who know not what they do. For me, I am super blessed to be in a healthy, vibrant community of believers who care deeply about being made in the image of Christ and loving others in that likeness. So I got to thinking, if I'm struggling... To see the finger-pointing, never-wrong colleague as anything but an enemy. Then the safety net is focusing on loving them the way we're called to in Matthew 5.44 in Luke 6.27 and Ephesians 4.32. Verses that all talk about loving your enemies. So really those passages are safety nets. People are not the enemy, but in case we associate them as enemy, we have an opportunity to love them as God loves them and watch how God transforms our perspective, how we view them in the process. How awesome it is that God can use our imperfections and mold them into perfections. His strength becoming our own as his conviction and truth seeps from the head into the heart. So if you have enemies, rejoice. God is more than enough. He's more than able to shift your idea of enemy From the instigated to the instigator. The second point I'm owning has to do with hiding behind proximity. I'm not shy to admit I'm shy. Even as a toddler, I was very quiet and very observant. Thus, it should be no surprise that I'm an introvert. For those who follow Myers-Briggs, I classify as an ISFJ, though my FT is virtually the same. So it should be no surprise to note I love my piece and my productivity, working hard nine to five, but having a sharp cutoff to wind down. But lately I've been thinking, why is privacy perceived as such a luxury when we were created for proximity? Now I know I've been saying a lot of P words, so I better stop here and define what I mean by proximity. To keep it short and sweet, let's define proximity as loving our neighbor and being engaged with those around us. The intersection of connection and communing. Apart from those on the road, chances are you're listening to this in proximity to someone, figuratively or literally. Whether it's neighbors, co-workers, immediate family and friends, we're in proximity to someone. Why is it then we often want to escape people? If we were to describe our ideal getaway, why would it involve seclusion or separation? Granted, this may be my introvert coming out. But a lot of us, if we are honest with ourselves, enjoy a break from people every now and then. Depending on how you're structured, it's easy to assume that rest can only happen in a vacuum when we're not in proximity. However, if we perceive proximity the right way, then the emphasis becomes valuing who they are and how they are, even if they're not doing the same back to us. Which brings me to my first truth is, a feature statement in every Post, I put out, that captures its heart. In this case, if how we engage people is conditioned on what we can't control, it's going to compromise our conviction in acting on what we can. That said, while pursuing proximity is important, it's worth noting the other side of the coin, the false security in minimizing it. Going back to my job for a second, I used to think to myself, well, just because so-and-so lives a couple cubicles down doesn't mean I'm entitled to be close to them. Other times I've thought, you know, I've tried talking with this person for so long, but after all these years, they've never tried talking to me. They've never initiated anything with me. If they want to be strangers, so be it. Yet even when my turned back was at its peak, it wasn't long before I started to feel empty after trying to convince myself of these things. Once the spirit convicted me and convinced me these thoughts were only desalting my witness, I knew my approach had to change. I knew I had to stop compartmentalizing people to make sense of my surroundings. Essentially, the Spirit sharpened the end goal for me, and that was that I had to open myself back up so anyone and everyone could be a potential target for the love, kindness, compassion, and encouragement I had to offer. In addition, I was stirred to not hide behind loving certain people as false comfort, those people the Word talks about who love you back who scratch your back after you scratch theirs, who are plugged into your life because you're plugged into theirs. Yet the deeper I probed the conviction from the Holy Spirit, the more I was able to grasp and understand how Jesus broached proximity. One of the fundamental observations we could take from his time on earth is that no one was outside his periphery to love or his reach to heal. Apart from his disciples, he spent and invested a lot of time with people who did not love or respect or admire him back, at least to the extent he was pouring out. Therefore, if we want to be more like Christ, I believe it's important we all examine ourselves and explore where good intentions may be linked to our own terms. Where are we putting the conditional tag on our love for one another? Are we devaluing proximity? Or maybe you're on the other end and you're making it an idol in your life. So focused on loving people, you're forgetting to love God. Wherever you're at, if you commit yourself to taking that internal inventory, then you will find those secret places you didn't realize were there. The last point I'm owning has to do with marginalizing my bandwidth. There's hardly been a day when I haven't thought about my own personal narrative, my story, my testimony. It's a very slippery slope since with it comes the temptation to make sense of my existence. How will what's left untold unfold? based on the good, bad, and ugly of yesterday. Yet tied to the conviction of the prior point, I found it's really hard to invest external margin, we'll define that as loving one another, in the present when you're overly vesting it in the past. If we want to enlarge in our margin, if we want to see it recalibrated, then we must be willing to put our perception of relationship under the knife as well. After all, it's very hard to love one another to the best of our ability when how we see them and treat them is less than how God sees them and treats them. If God is not increasing in how we relate to people, if we're not dying to ourself in the process, then it's safe to say we're not being as selfless as we can be in venturing that margin. And I know this is all easier said than done. Yet as I've come to at those mental crossroads, if I'm intentional and in asking God to breathe with into my bandwidth, that is the capacity and strength to love on purpose, who's to say I can't change? And hear me out. I know how tempting it can be, how draining it can be, getting caught up in how people see us, and the probability of what they're thinking of us being less than what it should. Yet, if we're tripping up over those dead-end sentiments, then it becomes impossible to believe the best of the person that we're insecure about or those people who are persecuting us in some shape or form. In other words, if I'm caught up in people not believing the best about me, then I'm not going to be able to believe the best about them. So often, God reminds me of how he's moving, convicting, stirring, and transforming me as I mature in this life. Many times, he's also reminded me how I just need to chill out and trust him to do the same in other people. Many times, I've beat myself up for not getting certain truths at an earlier age. For instance, there have been things I've gotten between the ages of 27 and 32 that I wish I could have gotten between the ages of 17 and 22. When you think about the past, it's very easy to get caught up in revisionist history. But as mentioned, getting caught up in the past doesn't get you anywhere. So if it helps, if you want to refresh your bandwidth, if you're like me and want to start demarginalizing it, Go back to your narrative, your story, and your testimony, but this time, consider that what you learn at 35 or 45 may not be what someone else learns at 25 or 55. After all, who are we to judge when truth clicks for someone else? Seriously, life becomes a lot easier when we trust God and let go of our desire, our craving to control and make sense of our surroundings and what people know and what they don't know. It goes back to that let go and let God which isn't a passive statement if we're committed to loving people on purpose and asking God to breathe his life and width into our bandwidth, as mentioned earlier. If we want to be heaven on earth, then we should never stop rooting for one another, regardless of if their maturity curve lines up with ours. Nor should we feel if we're not there yet in a certain way, we must conceal what's ready to be given today. So while these three convictions may sound rudimentary or basic to some, I believe for many of you listening to this, it definitely doesn't hurt being reminded of these truths and principles. If any of them resonate with you, I strongly encourage you to not be silent. First, take them to prayer with God. Be willing to get real with Him in private. And then if the Spirit leads you, talk to a close friend, a family member, a confidant, a member, and express your desire to get right in public. I know for me, I've found accountability to be one of the sweetest things as it takes my conviction and extends the drive towards the end zone. If you would like, you're always welcome to comment or shoot me a personal email at your convenience. Whatever the case, know that Lissa and I are here for you. Whether we've met you or not, we're rooting all of you on. We're all in this race of life together. Since faith is the evidence of things unseen, we don't have to know the full details of your struggle to be a valued support system. However, if you feel like you need a direct lifeline, Please don't ever hesitate to contact us or to write us. That is why this platform exists. Let's commit this time in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, your deep and vast love for us. We thank you for the comfort and conviction of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are always near and present throughout the ups and downs of life. Yet whether we feel blue or buoyant, I pray that you will begin harvesting the soil of our hearts in this moment. That these seeds of conviction will yield and bear much fruit at the proper time, and that we won't cling to what needs to be cast out of us. Yet now, Lord, we confess our sins, specifically in making culture the enemy, hiding behind proximity, and marginalizing our bandwidth. We confess our ignorance, our blindness, our rebellion, our disobedience, anything that has interfered with us, seeing, loving, and operating as you would intend for us. So we humbly empty our deceptions, the lies we've been believing, Our entitlements, we lay them all at your feet, Jesus, casting our cares and burdens upon you. Yet just as we want to not conform to the pattern of this world, Lord, I pray that you will begin to transform our minds, our hearts, what we see, what we believe, so that we'll be able to test and approve what it is, Lord, you want, the way that you think, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. With respect to our enemies, help us to see them more as brothers and sisters in Christ, as targets of your perfect love as wells of life waiting to be tapped. We choose to lay down our idea of peace, contentment, satisfaction, and harmony, and exchange them for what it is you have to say about them. In other words, Lord, take the conditional places in our inner being and begin to morph them into something that is unconditional. As we seek to clean out the fireplace and cobwebs of our heart, may we not forsake the basics, the fundamentals, the golden rules that your word talks about, not only loving you with everything that we have, that we are, our minds, our hearts, our souls, and our strength, but loving our neighbors as ourself, which includes our enemies. Increase our margin, our bandwidth for love. And may this year, may 2018, be a turning point in our lives, marked by being under the faucet of your presence, your teaching, your word, your conviction, your lead, your healing, your transformation. The faucet of you increasing while we decrease. Be ever glorified in our mists. Make us more and more like you. Help us long and crave to know you more. We give you all the glory and praise in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. I should have a new one up in a couple weeks, so stay tuned for that. Till then, have a great rest of the week, and we'll catch you on the fry. Peace.